Welcome to Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale. We're talking about the stories we tell ourselves, the mindsets, myths, and misinformation that can hold us back, and then turning our focus to action steps that bring about success mastery in business and life. The goals are to define success on our own terms and to master that success without excuses or apologies. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode. And as usual, I've got a fabulous guest who's going to make me look good and sound good because he's so smart. But before we get to him, let me kind of lay out a scenario and get you kind of thinking about what we're going to talk about today. So in business, we get the gift of 2020 hindsight, right? And sometimes that can be a mixed blessing. Well, and that's business or personal, either one. But today we're going to talk about business. For example, you know, I know that sometimes I can look back at some of the things I've done, the choices I've made, and I have to put the palm of my hand to my forehead and roll my eyes and say, what on earth were you thinking when you did that? (laughs) So come on, be honest with yourself, you know, because if I were a betting woman, which which I'm not because I'm not good at that, that is not anywhere near the top 1000 things that I'm good at. But if I were a betting woman, I'd be willing to bet that you've asked yourself some form of that same question. What on earth was I thinking when I did that? So, you know what? Here's another scenario that I think is kind of interesting. And if you're not willing to admit to the first scenario, maybe this one has come to mind or has happened to you. You've taken some sort of action. You've made a decision in your business and you were 100% a thousand million gazillion percent sure that it was the right decision. And so you did it. And then somebody came up to you and looked you in the eyes and said, dude, what were you thinking? (laughs) Yeah, that's happened to me too. So anyway, so did you make that decision and it did it backfire because it wasn't brand consistent or maybe you made a decision based on negative influences or fear, or uncertainty, you know, and there's a lot of that going around for a variety of reasons right now. But there are times when I make decisions and the result turns out differently than what I expect, and I have to remember to kind of take a deep breath and to give myself credit because at least I made a decision and I've learned something from making that decision. And I bring this up because So many people get stuck making any kind of decision. Too often, I have clients who get stuck. They won't make any decision, not any decision. For example, as a book writing business coach, I talk to people several times a year, year after year after year, who say, I want to write a book. Well, what's holding you back? And we go through some of those things. And you know what? They're still not writing the book. So some of them can articulate what the decision needs to be and what's holding them back. And some of them can't, but what they have in common is that none of them are doing anything. So they're, as a result, they're not doing a very good job of starting a business. So decisions or I guess I'm wondering, I've always wondered why are decisions so difficult for some people? And luckily I don't have to wonder anymore because I've got an expert 
guest today. His name is Steve Hafner, and he provides the answer as a professional decision performance expert and a magician. (laughs) So if you're wondering what on earth a magician can teach us about decision making, you're in the right place. So stay tuned. But first, let me introduce Steve Hafner. He is a de-illusionist. After a 30-year corporate career in IT and management for companies that include EDS, Mercer, and Humana, Steve launched his own speaking and performance business in 2011. Steve's experience as a corporate professional and a business owner, and did I say magician, (laughs) give him a very unique perspective on deception and how the subconscious mind influences our decision-making and affects our personal and professional successes. Using research in psychology, neuroscience, and behavioral economics, Steve helps professionals improve their decision performance by recognizing and overcoming the biases, shortcuts, and impulses that he calls our primitive lizard brain, which I think, you know, could potentially be a program all by itself. But we'll start with, hello, Steve, how are you? Hello, Arlene. I'm doing great. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. But, you know, we gotta gotta wheel it back a little bit and go into and start at the basics with what is a decision performance expert? How did you become that? I didn't even know it was an option. So tell us what is a decision performance expert? <laughs> See what you have to do is make your own option. So that didn't <gasps> exist. <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. Yes, Thank you. Yeah. So you you just you create your own title and then you run with it. So cool. Yeah. Decision performance. That is the degree to which your decisions align with your goals and your values. So if you're, if you want to elevate your decision performance, then you take the steps to make sure that your decisions are doing what you want them to do, that they're headed in the right direction and that they align with your values. So that that's kind of, as I was developing, as I was learning about those different uh, disciplines that you talked about, uh, psychology, beha- behavioral economics, um, I, I realized how, how much our decision-making is informed by our subconscious impulses and biases and shortcuts. And if we can recognize them and learn techniques for overcoming them, then we can increase our decision performance. And that's going to help us in basically all areas of our lives, not just our work, but our personal lives as well. Absolutely. Okay, so you made up your job title and your business decision performance expert. So what on earth motivated you to combine the magic element to that? (laughs) Well, it was so I I might go into this a little bit more later, but I had a 30 year career in the corporate world. And I was in IT. I was a, a programmer, systems analyst, system developer, and then I got into management. So as a project manager, and my last job was a business analyst. Um, and I just completely said, I'm going to start my own business because, and I wanted to do magic. I wanted to be a magician and I, it matched my values more at the time. Um, people thought I was crazy, <laughs> but Interesting. Um, yeah, but, but it, 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 it really spoke to me. So I got, I got into magic and mentalism so a lot of people haven't heard that term. They know what a magician is, but maybe not what a mentalist is. But a mentalist. now, if you're my age, you remember somebody called the Amazing Kreskin back from, oh, he, yeah. he was a kind of a rock star on TV. <laughs> he had a very, mm-hmm. very big hit show. And he did a lot of mentalism. And you can think of it as psychological illusion. Uh, 
I, I call it virtual mind reading and making predictions and sub subconscious influence. And, and uh, he even did some hi- hypnosis as well. I've never gotten into that, but it's a branch of magic that instead of visual magic, it's magic of the mind that you can think of. So I got into that and was doing, doing corporate shows uh, with mentalism. And I found it fascinating how the mind can be fooled in uh-huh. different ways as, as I had to, to research illusion and magic and, and psychology in order to up my game as a magician and a mentalist. It's, I was discovering subconsciously all the stuff that's going on and affecting how we make decisions and how we behave. And that's when I started building my speaking business thinking this could be very valuable for people in general. So I can use it not just as entertainment, but as giving people something that they can improve themselves. So that's how I kind of took the, the psychology that I learned from magic, dug into it a little more into those other areas and started applying it to how people make decisions, you know, in the, in the business world, at work, at home, when they're raising their kids, you know, all over the place. It applies to anybody basically who has a human brain. Okay. Well, there's sometimes there are some people who are questionable, but we won't go into that. That is a completely different show. Okay. Uh, Moving right along. um, I'm very fascinated and I would like to dissect the term and maybe dissect isn't the right word. (laughs) Maybe I want to find out more about the lizard brain. What is that? Sure. Absolutely. So, so there, there was, and some, some people in the scientific community have, have disputed this now, but the, the basic thought was that the, 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 it's called the triune brain theory, that there's three different levels to our brain. And the most primitive level, the smallest part the, at the, the base of the brain, the brain stem, they called it the reptilian brain because it was developed, you know, in our, in our history going back millions and millions of years, you know, when we were crawling around, uh, it, it was developed then and small animals have it. So that's the part of the brain that keeps you safe. Its job is to keep you alive so you can live long enough to pass your DNA on to future generations. So it's all about survival, right? Okay. So that part, and they call it, you know, the lizard brain is a, um, is another term, kind of a nickname for reptilian brain. And I like to just call it the lizard because it's a neat kind of a metaphor that you can think of this little lizard in there that, <laughs> um, and, and that's the collection. Yeah, it's crawling around. Can you feel it? And that is the co- collection of the of the subconscious impulses that that the brain uses. And and a, again, we're not aware of these because at the subconscious level. So normally we're not aware of them. Um, but they're designed to keep us safe. So it's the flight or fight impulse, and it's always on the lookout for potential threats. Okay. If if you're always well, I'll use the common phrase. If you're holding a hammer, everything looks like a nail, a nail. Right. Right. If you're always looking for th- potential threats, everything looks like a threat, a potential threat. Right. Right. So, um, so we tend to have all these, all, all these negative impulses that fear is, is one of them, ir- irrational fear. Uh, we have something called the negativity bias and we have all these things going on and they've created the, the behavioral science, community has come up with over 180 different cognitive biases. And those are ways that our subconscious mind influences us in fairly predictable, but irrational ways. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's what the lizard brain is. It's that, it's that primitive basic part of the brain that, that can affect us without our awareness. 
Okay, so do some people have bigger lizards than others? Because there are some people that are completely decision diverse. You know, they they will not make a decision to save their life. Right, and and that's that's interesting. And there are different brain structures that um, that control that. And in fact, there have been studies of people who have had brain injuries. And uh, I remember one study. Um, don't remember the name of, of the subject, but he had a pretty severe brain injury. But when he came out of it. I mean, he recovered. It was like he was fine in every way, except he couldn't make decisions. Hmm. He, it was just that phenomenon you're talking about where people have trouble, you know, making decisions. So I think the difference between people isn't necessarily the size of the, of the lizard brain in them, but their ability to overcome it with their prefrontal cortex. So that's hmm. the human part of our brain, you know, that's the big part that developed that makes us uniquely human. And so that's got the executive level decision making functions as part of it, our, our consciousness and our ability to compare things and calculate probabilities and predict things in the future, which is basically all decisions are is predicting things in the, that are going to happen in the future. Mm. Uh, so that's all part of the part of the prefrontal lobe. <laughs> and okay. uh, yeah, so <clears throat> Is trust or trust issues in making a decision, is that related to the lizard or the prefrontal? I mean, yeah, it is. Well, it, here's how it's related to the lizard. So we, we make assumptions about people all the time when we have uncertainty. Lizard doesn't like uncertainty. It mm. slows us down, right? If you're in the wild and you're uncertain, you're going to get eaten. You have to make decisions quick. And so it makes us feel certain even in times when we're not. But when we have uncertainty and say, in a, say about a person and their motivations, for example, you're watching your favorite team. Do you, do you watch sports? Do you have a favorite team? Yeah, a little bit. I love college football and baseball. So, yeah. Okay. Who's your favorite team? Oh, gosh. Well, my allegiance is to the Texas Aggies, but my son is going to the University of Nebraska. So I'm a newfound Cornhusker football fan. Ah, all right. All right. Well, let's, let's say you're watching the Aggies on TV and oh. the ref makes a horrible call <laughs> against your team. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens to us as sports fans, it's in our DNA to make an assumption about that ref. Now it could mm -hmm. go two ways. You could make a positive assumption and think, well, he just made a mistake. You know, you can't see everything. We're human. The game moves fast. Eh, live and yeah. let live. <laughs> yeah, that's usually not the direction that lizard no, goes. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Nobody does that. What you do is you think, oh, that's the third bad call he's made against us. You know, he what is going on? He wants us to lose. I, and then you think, Biased. oh, he's getting paid by the other team. You know, something's Ooh, going on. Yeah. So when it comes to uncertainty about a person and their intentions, we're much more likely to assume the negative than we are the positive. And it all goes back to that, to that, um, you know, uh, the, the making negative assumptions and staying safe and seeing everything as a threat. Right. So we have a term for negative assumptions, suspicion. Uh, right? suspicion, suspicion. Okay. Make a negative assum assumption about somebody you're suspicious. Now, that's kind of a funny word because nobody thinks of themselves as a suspicious person. Yeah. It's right? got a bad connotation. It does. It does. But the lizard is suspicious and it's it's working, it's it's magic in the background and, and affecting our decision maker making abilities and making us make those negative assumptions, you know, about people with suspicion. So what's the opposite of suspicion is 
and you mentioned it before. Trust. Trust. Exactly. Okay. Trust and suspicion cannot coexist at the same time because they're on opposite ends of, of the same line. So if you, if you don't overcome that suspicion, then you're going to have trouble with having trusting relationships. Or if it's one relationship we're talking about, then you, know, you won't be able to build trust in that relationship. Mm. And trust is so important Absolutely. for us as, as humans and in business and any kind of relationship. I mean, people, people know that trust is a positive thing, having a high trust relationship. But I think most people vastly underestimate just how important it is. Mm-hmm. And we tend to, we tend to be overly cautious and you, there's the phrase, you know, somebody has to earn your trust. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what if you turn that around and instead you said, you know what, I'm going to start with trust and give you that unless you earn my suspicion, unless you do something that, you know, that makes me, that, that proves that you're untrustworthy, start with trust. And I'm not saying mm. don't, be, don't be cautious, you know, obviously, right. but, but extend a little bit of trust to somebody. And here's, this is the magic of this. When you extend your trust to somebody, they automatically, it's, it's a, it's a uh, influence mechanism. They, it's reciprocation. They automatically want to extend trust to you. So by you being hmm. more trusting, that makes you more trustworthy in their eyes. And then that's how hmm. it builds. And so that's a building cycle. And that's how you can, can build trust and have high trust relationships. Of course, you do have to follow through on that trust and make sure that you, you are doing you know, what you say you're going to do and, and not uh, betraying that trust. Because once that happens, you know, sometimes it can take a while to build trust, but it only takes a second to kill mm-hmm. And then it takes a long time to build it back up again. So how do we tame the lizard brain so that we make better decisions? Well, I have a phrase (laughs) for this. (laughs) So I like to make up stuff. I made it the term, the de-illusionist for what I do. Um, And I have a term for this, for for taming the lizard. And I call it confront the lizard. And that's one of my... One of my speaking programs is called that confront the lizard. So that is a, what you have to do is you recognize, you learn more, you learn about cognitive biases and what I call illusions and the way that the lizard brain can trip us up. And you, you, you learn as much, become aware as, as many as possible, especially the ones that really affect you because people are affected in different ways by different cognitive biases. Um, so, so you learn about those then, and this is the hard part, it's, it's simple, but it, it can be difficult at first. You have to get in the habit of it. You stop and you confront the lizard. And what that, that I want that on my tombstone, in fact. Confront the lizard. He confronted the lizard. <laughs> okay, I'm making, a, I'm making a note in case anybody asks me. <laughs> okay. Confronted <laughs> the lizard, okay? Yeah. So that means stop. You have to recognize I could be getting influenced here by my lizard because I know it's happened in the past. I know I'm susceptible to this. So anytime that you're about to act or make a decision that is impactful, meaning it ha- it's going to have an effect on somebody, on yourself or somebody else, the bigger the effect, the more it's important to confront the lizard. And you stop and you take a moment. Sometimes it only takes a moment and you by doing this, you're kicking it up, kicking the situation, the decision 
from your lizard's influence up to the prefrontal cortex. And that then gives you the chance to run it through your goals and the filter of your values to make mm-hmm. sure that that decision does align with it. You know, for example, if you are going to, um, you know, you're going to have an interaction with somebody, it's going to be a negative inter- interaction. Negativity is a key. If you're about mm-hmm. to say something negative and insulting, or even on online on social media, you're about to post something negative about, even if it's about a public figure or a politician or something, stop for a second before mm-hmm. you do that, you know, and think, does this make sense? Does this align with my values? You know, if it's somebody that you know, and, and maybe you're making a negative assumption about, think, okay, I've got this suspicion about this person. Is it based on anything solid, anything concrete? Mm. Or, you know, maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe I'm uncertain about them and I'm assuming the negative. So by kicking yeah. it up to the big brain, you're letting the executive part of it take over and 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 you can that's the way you overcome those lizard brain impulses if you don't do that if you just react or you act on based only on emotion without thinking about it first and confronting the lizard then you're much more likely to have those moments that you mentioned at the beginning where you look back and you go what was i thinking (laughs) absolutely so you know talking about social media does the lizard tend to prefer to act on a platform that's just one dimensional like text or social media versus face-to-face conversations? Where do we, or does it really matter how we confront issues or people? Um, Well, I don't know that it matters to the lizard, but the social media platforms are built to tweak the lizard to go right for they, they call it amygdala hijack because a lot of people call the the amygdala mm-hmm. part of the brain your uh, the, the lizard brain they make connection between the two and i don't like to think of, of specific structure as having all the lizard brain impulses but mm-hmm. um that's how social media in media you know news media and technology platforms are built is to grab your attention and they do that by getting you at the subconscious level they don't want to appeal to your rational side they want to appeal to the emotional, quick, reactive side and get you to click and get your, your eyeballs, your attention, and your data because that's their business model. Right. So it's right. very so so the lizard is is very much activated by social media. Absolutely. And then, you know when you talked about text versus face to face, it's fun. I just the other day uh, had had a misunderstanding through email. I was emailing with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. and, in an association that I'm in and I completely misunderstood what they were saying. And I responded in a way that if he didn't know that I misunderstood him, he would have thought I was being a real jerk. Mm. And so he responded, I'm like, and then, and then it hit me, wait, we're not on the same page here. And then I figured it out and I'm like, Oh, mm. this is what I, and none of that would have happened if we were actually face to face, even on the phone, it probably wouldn't have happened. Right. <laughs> You know, because it had been real easy to just, well, you can hear tone of voice, first of all. Right. And that says a lot, yeah. you know, yeah. so, so it's really easy for the lizard brain to take hold when it's got uncertainty, because when you lose the, the tone and the body language and all of that, that creates more uncertainty uh, and the potential for more miscommunication and the lizard's more likely to go negative. Right. That makes sense. You know? So, 
you know, th this may be TMI on who I am and what I do, but spell that it, spell it. Me before, <laughs> you know, when I see a Facebook post or something that just really, you know, it pokes my lizard big time. I often will sit down and <laughs> type all those things out. And sometimes there's typos and it's like, I don't care. I just, I just type and type and type. And then I go back and I read it out loud and then I delete it. <laughs> because what You're I do confronting your lizard. Yeah. I'm confronting it. the lizard because one of the, and I don't know if this is normal or not. So you have to help, help me with this or not. But when I'm reading it out loud, I hear it and I process it through my brain, but my heart says, you know, you really don't want to come off that way to that person. You've liked that person. You've worked with that person. You have a lot of things in common. And how important is this to the relationship we already have? And that's usually what stops my lizard and gets me to hit the delete button instead. Mm -hmm. So what kind of hints or things like that can you give us to overcome those mindsets that we have to respond right now or that we have to react based on what the lizard tells us we need to do? Yeah. Well, we kind of have to listen to our mothers. Oh, uh, our mothers told, <laughs> told us, well, some of our mothers did that before rea reacting in anger to anyone, wait five minutes or whatever. Or what I like to say is sleep on it because oh, my good. perspective is usually different the next day. Yeah. Um, but here's something you can do. And this, this was something that a boss that I had many years ago did. So he, he was a great guy. Okay. Um, really liked him. And everybody liked him, but he, he got a little trouble because somebody had sent him an email that pushed his buttons that he was not happy about. And he sent an email back, you know, just eh, it was angry. It was snarky. It was sarcastic. And he got in a little trouble for that. So, but not, he didn't get fired or anything. Not that big of a deal, but he didn't want that to happen again. So what he did is he used me the way you kind of used yourself in your example. And he said, he, from now on, when I, he had to, he had to stop. He had to recognize those situations where he was feeling emotionally agitated because if we don't recognize them, we, we can't confront the lizard. So he, um, you know, he, he said, whenever I feel really emotionally tweaked by a situation, before I respond to it with an email, I'm going to send that email to you, meaning me. And uh, he said, you know, I want you to look at it first. So I would go over, I wouldn't have that same emotional attachment that he mm -hmm. would. Absolutely. And yeah. So I would, um, I would read it. I would edit it for appropriateness. If anything, you know, if there was an edge on it that needed to be taken off or whatever, and mm -hmm. then send it back to him. And then he'd send out the, the corrected non-emotional <laughs> version and it served him well, you know, very, very much. And, um, that's kind of why I always like to recommend then. And, and in many of my programs, I end, with the fact that it's, it can be difficult to see our own lizard at work, our own cognitive biases and impulses working on us. It's easier to see them in somebody else. Absolutely. Them, right, right. And it's easier, it's for, easier to fix them in someone else too. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful there though. <laughs> Oops. Yep. Right. But um, so, so teamwork is really important you know, when you're making big, impactful decision-making, because even if you think that you're the person that's got the most knowledge and you're in the best position to make this decision, get input from other people. And diversity is great. If you can get more people from different points of view involved in looking at it, then you're more likely to be able to recognize and interrupt any of those negative kind of lizard brain influences going on and make a better decision. So, yeah. And I've, I've, 
I guess my lizard brain is probably made up very a high percentage of it is emotions and I've learned over the years that I have to I have to take all emotion out of things and I'm talking professionally or personally because if I respond from a place of emotion usually that's not a good place it's not authentic it's not grace filled <laughs> Does that make sense? Do you find that in other people too, that emotions really can become the enemy in communication? They can, they can. And this is, this is why we have to think it through with the big brains because sometimes they're, they're good. I mean, we're human. We are emotional people and emotions aren't necessarily bad. Even ones like fear doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's wrong, but, and and they can be a good catalyst for change, for waking us up when, you know, when you're emotionally, something that grabs you emotionally, but you don't want to base your decisions on emotion. Right. Um, so you want to kick it up to your big brain and think now, if it's a positive, it could be a positive emotion, like maybe empathy you're feeling for somebody. And that that's great. You know, that for you to make a decision and, and act on empathy. Um, but if you don't think about it first, if you just act on all your impulses and emotions and intuition, then you're likely going to be, making mistakes and not not aligning with who you want to be you know like like you had mentioned so right um, so when you're working with business people you talk about you know the opposite of the lizard brain is kind of our core values what kind of core values do you find have the most power or strength or ability to help us overcome that lizard thinking well, that's, that's a very personal and um, um, individual kind of thing as, as to what, what values, but most people don't even know what their values are. Mm. If you say they, they know they have values, of course, core values, but they don't even know what they are. Mm. And a lot of organizations don't either. Now, some, some have value statements along with their mission statement and right. their, you know, their vision statement, but most of them don't. But, but I have found because <clears throat> a lot of times before I'm going to present to a certain association or a company, I'll go on their website and look for a, a value statement. And if there's not a specific value statement, I can usually find their values on their about page or in their vision or mission statement. Cause usually you can suss out aha, this is what their value is. You know um, they, they value sometimes you'll see a, a bias for action as being something, you know, that, that they value. Um, and I can talk about that, why that, that's a good thing, but sometimes it's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> a bias for action. But, um, you know, as far as personal values, I get, uh, what I get a lot is in integrity, you mm -hmm. know, and, and for, for me, I've already mentioned two of mine, empathy mm -hmm. is one of my big values and what I call thankfulness. There, there I go making up another term. There you go. Basically it, it's thoughtfulness, except I'm, we think of thoughtfulness as being thoughtful towards another person. I, what I mean by thankfulness is the confront the lizard thing and actually mm. metacognition thinking about your thinking so that you can, you know, not react and make better decisions. So, so those are a couple of my values. Um, but yeah, I get um, integrity, empathy. I've got a whole list of them that I, that I show people, but there's, you know, hundreds of values that, that people can think about. A lot of people say, family, you know, what, what, what do you value family? And I'm like, well, everybody values their family values, the well-being of their family, you know? So you want to go a little deeper than that. I mean, even, even the evil queen on game of Thrones valued her family. Mm. Um, 
her brother had had said one time said that your one redeeming quality is that you love your children your one redeeming quality well that and your cheekbones he said (laughs) (laughs) well so so even evil people you know they they value their family right um but you know and and here's why values are important but both personally to, to identify write them down and if you if you can put them out there for other people to see you know if you're somebody if you if you're your own business like me i've got them on my website um but if people know your values then you are more likely to be accountable to them and you're going to think about them more often your values and use them as the filter so that when you're kicking a decision from your lizard brain up to your big brain think does this align with my values you know like when you're on social media and you're and you're thinking hmm that's it doesn't really align with who how you want to be perceived and who you see yourself as I had a similar situation. So I've always had this policy for 10 years of not posting any political or controversial mm-hmm. content on social media. Right. I don't fault people who do if they, if they find it works for them, fine. It's just for me and, n- and nothing good ever came out of it. Yeah, exactly. And some, I agree. You know, some bad. So I always had that policy. Well, there was once, you know, a year or so ago where I was, Got on Facebook in the evening, was scrolling through, getting into one of those Facebook comas, you know, scrolling, scrolling. And then I saw somebody's post about, uh, it was just about some judge had let somebody off and this person was uh, an, outraged by it for some reason. And mm. so I'm like, hmm. So I looked looked at the link. It was no big deal to me. I was just going to go on. But somebody that they knew, person I didn't even know, had put a comment that turned it into this big political thing. And I thought it was completely irrational, made no sense. And it was harmful even I thought, so I'm like, oh, that is terrible. And I went in and I put my own comment on their comment, pointing out that they were a total and complete idiot. <laughs> okay. Not exactly. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was polite about it, but I still had to, had to voice my opinion. Okay. So then I went to bed and the next day when I logged on to Facebook, I had unleashed a cluster storm of negativity and this person, you know, they, they totally went after not just my comment, but my whole, my brain, my personality, the horse I rode in on everything. So (laughs) I I wanted to say they called you everything, but a human being. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It it was then I'm like, what, why did I deserve this? But I'm like, I, I deleted the post and I had one of those, what was I thinking moment? I had this policy all those years not to do anything like that. And then I did it and it was, it was bad. It, it, it decreased the level of trust that people have on me because um, it it wasn't in line with my values. You know, people know who, who I am and they know I generally don't do that kind of stuff. And they probably thought, wow, look at Steve here, you know, um, getting all up in arms over this and, and, uh, and there's other problems with doing that too, as far as people labeling you and, and all of a sudden, if you make one comment that people associate with, you know, we, we think in terms of like left and right mm-hmm. and say, say you make one comment and if somebody on the left associates it with being a, a, a right leaning comment, they're going to all of a sudden ascribe all these other beliefs and ideologies to you mm-hmm. because they, we, that's another lizard brain thing is it likes to put people into buckets and categories, you know, Yeah. And, um, because, because it's easy and it brings a level of a feeling of certainty, even though it's false. Yeah. And I think we're seeing 
a lot of that right now, and it makes me very sad. But, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, for me, and I try and be transparent in this program, you know, I was raised by an abusive alcoholic, and he was, we can trace that back to three generations. You know, he did to us as children what his family did to him, his dad did to him as an abusive Mm. alcoholic. So as a result, one of the things that I value, my core value is legacy. So, you know, and I'm in marketing. So when I was working on my master's degree, we were, you know, do you remember billboards, the old fashioned big billboards, not the electronic things we have now, (laughs) but you know, we were challenged to create a billboard for our life. And, you know, he gave us all the rules for billboards. You know, you can't have more than like seven words and you have to have some, use some sort of tool that'll make it memorable. So the billboard that I came up with, you know, 30 years ago that still serves me now is that I'm living a legacy of love, learning, and laughter. And so I am changing the legacy. That's my core value. And it brings in the love of laughter, the love of learning. Um, But it also guides everything I do. Because if I'm wanting to leave a legacy that's different than what I had handed to me, I always have to ask myself, if I do this, who am I? If I respond this way, what does it say about the legacy I'm living? And I always say living because I'm not ready to go anywhere yet. So I'm not leaving. <laughs> You're <laughs> stuck with me for a while. So, you know, I'm, I'm living that legacy. And I have been surprised because I've given this so much thought personally because of my life experience. I have been very surprised at how many people have not really put words or said out loud in a way that's absolute what their core values are. Mm -hmm. And you, you say you find that in business too, right? Yes. Yes. And when I'm doing a uh, presentation and I I will have everybody in the audience write down what their three core values are. And a lot of times, you know, their three top core values, of course, people have more than that. Right. But um, it, it, it can be difficult. People are like, uh, I don't know. And because I haven't really given it much thought before. Right. You know? And, and, you know, a lot of times businesses will do it, you know, as I mentioned with a value statement, mm-hmm. but you ask people in, in that company, even at the top levels, what's your value statement or what are your values? And they probably couldn't tell you, well, I'll have to go check the website and get back yeah. to you, you know? So, well, which but, is kind of, Kind of sad because if you don't know your corporation's values, how do you know you're a good fit for being there? Exactly. You know, you're eventually going to figure it out the hard way, (laughs) right? Right. If you don't mesh. Yeah. No, and and that's that's right. And and now, you know, we have seen that you know with millennials and more than you know, baby boomer boomers and, and Gen X, they're more concerned with finding a good company culture, mm-hmm. a good corporate culture for, for them. And they want one that the values of the, of the of business of the organization align with theirs. But if they can't tell what your values are, then they're not going to know whether they're a good fit or not. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's so important that people stop and think because, you know, at my age, you know, 150 million years old, at least ask my kids, <laughs> that's what they would tell you. Um, at my age, I think that 
if we, you know, I find so many people who are stuck in jobs because they're worried about rent and car payments and college and feeding their kids and this and that and the other thing that they never get out of a place where they're not comfortable, where they come to learn it doesn't, it doesn't mesh with their core values, but then they, because they never gave it any thought 20, 30 years earlier, they're, they're, they're kind of stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's hard They they, they feel stuck. Yeah. Know? They feel stuck. And, and a lot of times we, we feel stuck. We have something called the status quo bias and that's another lizard brain thing where the lizard wants us to stay where we're at. It's a safety thing. So in the wild, the well-worn path to the river is a lot safer than taking a different route where you've never gone before. And there's something out there that might want to eat you. So the, we are we are kind of wired at the subconscious level to want to stay where it's safe, stay with what's familiar, mm-hmm. you know. And so and so for a lot of people, they maybe feel like like they have to stay where they're at, you know, for whatever reason, or they can't make any money somewhere else or whatever. But you know, if it's not a good fit, you're not going to be happy if you're yeah. you know if it doesn't match your values. And every decision we make ultimately has to be pointed in the direction of making us happy. And I don't mean that in a narcissistic way or, you know, selfish, but because, because giving to other people makes us happy. Most people. Right. Exactly. Unless you're a sociopath. Um, Well, that's a whole other show also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So So, go ahead. No, I was, I was just, just going to say, if, if, you know, you, you have to think in terms of the, the goals, what you want to achieve, your high level goals, you know, in, in, in life based on what will make you happy, you know, and you use your values as a, as a, as a filter when you're coming up with your goals and then always be thinking about them and trying to work towards them. And if you need to change your direction, if you find yourself going off track a little bit, you know, recalibrate and get yourself back going towards your goals. Right. And a lot of times, you know, I've worked for, I think it was six different companies before I started my own business. And, um, and every time that I left, it was of my own accord. And a lot of companies, sometimes they were a great fit when I started. And it just turned out because of how I was developing or in a different direction the company was going, it's no longer a good fit. Mm. But you don't want to wait to wait too long before you figure that out. You know? Right. It's it's about being consciously aware. I, I love the term status quo bias. Is that something else you created? <laughs> no, I can't take credit for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going to give you credit. I hadn't heard it before. It's it's yeah. a good one, though. So one of the mindsets is the the mindset of being stuck. That may potentially keep someone from making a decision to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, be, because you you feel like it's your only your only option, and and this this is something too with with decision making. So I I, I study different um, uh, different books and experts in the in the realm of decision making. And one thing that we often do is we fail to look deep enough into what all the options are. We only see one or two options that come to mind easily. That's another mm-hmm. bias we have is. Um, something called the peak end rule where things that, that, uh, that, that are most recent to us stick out to us. And those are the options that we see. Um, and we, and we end, we 
tend to not look at all the options that are available. And that's another reason why teamwork is important because other people can bring other options to the table. Um, and that's why, it, you know, in a career, if you're a personal, somebody who is, who feels stuck in their career, you know, that's a personal thing. But if you can get somebody else involved, whether it's a friend, family member, a life coach, you know, somebody mm-hmm. to help, you know, so you say I'm stuck and, and how can I get unstuck? I don't see any other options. Well, they can, they can see options that you can't. Right. Well, and you know, I, in my life, I call those accountability partners yeah. and who are also friends and they're the reason that I actually even got my first book with my name on it written because we would get this women's group, girls group would get together once a month and we would set goals for the next month. And every month for, I don't, I can't even tell you how long I'm going to write my story. I'm going to write my story. I'm going to write my story. And one of my accountability friends um, said, you know what, Arlene, just, I don't want to hear it anymore. If you're not going to start taking action and living your dream, it hurts me too much to hear you time and time and time again. Just not do it. So don't even talk about it anymore. So, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever had anybody in your life that's that kind of friend that they're pushy, they're bossy, and they're right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's the worst part is they're right. So, yeah, no, we need it. I mean, that's that that's disillusionment. Mm -hmm. I was going to call myself the dis the disillusionist, but I thought that's kind of has a negative connotation, but it's really not negative because if you're thinking about it, about disillusionment, you're getting rid of your illusions. Right. And so somebody else does and it feels bad, but it's the truth and it helps you move forward. So yeah, you need that other person. I am a huge fan of accountability as well. I've been in accountability and accountability group for like five or six years. We touch base every once a week, every Monday for that's an awesome. hour. Yeah. And we talk about here's what I had on my agenda for last week. Here's what I completed, what I didn't, and what I plan to do this week. Right. And even, you know, we don't, we're not that pushy on each other. <laughs> we don't, we don't give each other a hard time. What are you doing? Why didn't you get that done? But just the fact that we know it's on our list and we're going to have to report it to the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. That's a motivator. Exactly. It is. And you have to have accountability partners who know how to set goals, know what their values are. And I think will challenge you and stretch you. For example, I couldn't have my husband as an accountability partner because he'll go, oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And then I'll post it on Facebook or something and other people go, what, what are you thinking? (laughs) You know, so you have to have people who are willing to help you stretch, even if it's painful. So um, that's my opinion. Yeah. Sometimes a family member or a really close friend isn't, isn't the best person for that role. Exactly. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. Well, and quite honestly, you could tell me something and my husband could tell me the same thing and you could get away with it. He couldn't because of that emotional connection. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I might deck him, you, I might go, Hmm, I wonder (laughs) what made him say that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there is that value too. And there's another, uh, another thing that you can do uh, to help, to help motivate you and get unstuck or, or if you have trouble, achieving the goals that you set. Um, so it's called a commitment contract. And there, there are apps, websites that you can use. Um, I, I know one in particular, I'm, I'm not an affiliate of them or anything. Um, can, can I mention them? Or, sure. That, okay. They're called stick S T I C K K. And so what you do, so you have a goal, it can be a weight goal. 
you know, a fitness goal. It can be a career goal, education. You know, you want to get a degree, you want to finish a course, do something in a certain amount of time. So you actually create an account for yourself. You set it up with the time frame and what you're going to do. And you have to report on it, you know, every, I don't know what the frequency is. And you can get a coach uh, hmm. or a, a referee, they call it. Um, somebody else that's that's on stick. And you can be a referee for somebody else who monitors your progress and your report. So they sort of are like a kind of an accountability pr- partner. And uh, people who do use a referee have twice as good a chance of completing their commitment on time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and you can also set stakes. So this is pretty cool. So you commit money, like using your PayPal account. Like if I don't reach this goal by this date, hundred bucks and, and I'm going to give, it's going to go to, and I tell, I say who it's going to go to the charity I want or a person, whoever I decide to give it to. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow. If you don't want to lose those hundred bucks, you're going to be more. <laughs> and they say that that that's a three times motivator that people who use that the stakes are three times more likely to get it done. Wow. Uh, that's, that's, well, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we're running out of time. So there's several things I still want to do. First of all, tell people where they can find you to hire you or to learn more about what you do and sure. connect with you. It's very easy. Stevehafner.com. So that's S T E V E. H-A-F-F-N-E-R. Oh, good. You did a good job there. (laughs) You can spell your own name. Congratulations. I'm stuck on my own name. Um, So they can go there and I, you know, I've got a couple of freebies available. They can, there's, I have a book called, uh, ebook called Seven Strategies for Making Great Decisions. They can find that on there. And I have a newsletter comes out once every three weeks. It's called the Invisible Mind Blocks Newsletter. And I've got one coming out this week. So once every three weeks, uh, you get a little it's three to four minutes to read, probably. And I talk about another cognitive bias or another thing that is happening at our subconscious that's can be a- affecting our decision making and uh, interfering. So it gives you a little a little boost, makes you a little bit smarter, keeps that awareness going once every three weeks. And I don't spam or try to sell anybody anything like that. Okay, so, that's great. Yeah. So you know, I looked at your book on your website. Um, Give us just briefly, what are those seven steps for making decisions? I'm sorry. I just completely went, did you hear it? It flew out of my head. So can you give us an example of of, of one or two of those steps? Sure. Um, one of them is brain health, actually. So that, that's, that's the one chapter where I, I go a little bit away from the, the lizard brain stuff. But people, there's, we have a lot of illusions about our brain. And we think when we reach a certain age, it's going to go downhill mm-hmm. and there's no stopping it. Well, we have something called neuroplasticity and there's been a lot of brain science, brain studies. Um, you know, technology has allowed a lot more mm-hmm. hmm, getting into the details of how the brain works. And, and there are things that you can do based on diet um, and other types of mental exercise that you can do to increase your brain's ability to, to stay active, to stay healthy, keep your memory from deteriorating. I mean, you do lose brain mass as Mm. as you get older, but you can slow that and make your brain more healthy. And that's going to help you make better decisions because you've got a better, um, got a better brain, you know, a better tool for doing it with. Absolutely. Um, We have, one of the other things is, is we have, hidden narratives we have hidden 
we have stories that we tell ourselves mm. that often are illusionary and they're not true. And they, it's a, a lot of it's based on the negativity bias that we say, ah, we're, um, you know, we, we remember, we hang on to, we dwell on those, what was I thinking moments? And we think, oh, we're not good. Or I, you know, I can't, um, I'm too old to do this, or, you know, I'm not smart enough to do this, or I don't have the education right. or the experience or whatever. And a lot of those just simply aren't true. Right. So uh, recognizing those is another, you know, Right. strategy for making better decisions so do you you have a youtube channel where people can go hear you talk and see some of your illusions your I magic do. okay uh they can't really i'm trying to think if i've got any magic illusions out there anymore since i've switched to speaking but i do have some videos they can see my demo video okay. uh, my my demo promo and it's um i'm pulling it up now so i can see <laughs> uh what well, if you just do a search on Steve Hafner, you'll find it. Okay. There's and not I think a lot you, of Steve Hafners out there. <laughs> right. And I think you do have some on your website, stevehafner.com. Okay. So we've got just a couple minutes left. So, you know, I want to put you on the hot seat. So mm -hmm. the first question I have for you, because we're all about the mindsets, you know, you've become successful. You are an admired leader. You have some great skills and you created your own business niche. Was there a mindset early on when you started or when you went out on your own that you really had to face head on? Because if you hadn't, it probably would have kept you stuck. Yes. Yes. That's, that's a really good question. Um, so I was, you know, I was in this career for 30 years. I had switched from programming to management. I wasn't really liking what I was doing anymore. And I had magic as a hobby. And when I first thought, you know, I was looking around my area, I knew some, somebody that was making good living as a magician, but the market wasn't saturated. And I thought, Ooh, I would love to be a magician, but my lizard squawked and said, what are you doing? You can't do that. That's ridiculous. You know, you're, mm. we're, we're in the middle of a recession. You're, you've got a family to, to support. Um, you've got a good job, good career. Stop it, you know, grow up. And, um, and so I did. So I put that little dream on the back burner mm. for a while but as time went on and as i was becoming less and less satisfied with with my current career that little thing kept popping up again and every time it did the lizard popped up and it's like one on this shoulder and one on that and i was finally and, and if you've ever had a, a big decision to make about your mm -hmm. life and you're struggling with it that's tough that's it actually painful as you struggle with that right so I was struggling with it and I heard a song on the radio. I was sitting in the parking garage waiting to go into work, heard a song that basically woke me up and it said, you know, are you, are you taking the rules that you've been given or are you breaking the rules with your own decisions? Isn't it time you tried? And I heard mm. that song and I'd never heard the song before or after on the radio. Oh, wow. It was the one time and I needed it right at that moment. And it just hit me like a flood of emotion. And I actually had tears because, and I'm not a crier, but I was like, it, it, it woke me up and it made me realize this is what I have to do. I'm just, I'm going to regret it if I don't. Um, 10 minutes later, I'm standing in my boss's office saying I'm quitting to become a magician. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes yeah. it takes, it takes a push from the outside and maybe it was divine intervention or maybe just random luck. I don't know. Yeah. You so know. real quick in 15 seconds what is one little nugget that you can give people to apply right now to help master some sort of decision making 
issue they're struggling with. Get out a piece of paper and a pen and write down your three top values and keep that close. So, and look at it every morning so that you can, that'll be top of mind. And you can use that when you confront the lizard and you're making decisions, then you, you kind of subconsciously, those values will come into play and help you to use them as a filter. And that's a great way to overcome illusions or delusions is to always keep those values in front of you. That's right. Okay. Final word or two or three. (laughs) Um, Don't forget teamwork. You get other people involved. The more diversity, the better. Um, And try to stay positive. You know, be happy. Stay positive. Lizard brain wants us to be negative and it's always Mm -hmm. a threat, you know, overcome that. Um, Have goals that make you happy and work yourself towards those goals because that upward movement, that's going to give you positivity and, and make you happy. Absolutely. Even in a time of uncertainty like these, if you know where you're going, that removes some of the uncertainty. That's my two cents anyway. So Steve Hafner, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time with us today. I've learned a lot and I'm thinking anybody who was listening has probably got a lot of action steps that they can use to help them make, make decisions and make better decisions. So I just want to thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you, Arlene. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Well, you are very welcome. So go find Steve Hafner at stevehafner.com and get connected with him because, you know, in our time together, there's no way we could tap all of his brilliance as much as I wanted to. We just can't. So until next time, be mindful of the stories that you tell yourself about what is or is not possible for you. Don't let anyone else dictate your story. Once you know where you're going, only you have the power to decide how to get there. And when you're ready to write your story, contact me, Arlene Gale at bookwritingbusiness.com. Thank you for joining Mindset Meets Mastery with Arlene Gale, the expert in helping people write business building books. Join us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on BBS Radio when we'll talk more about how mindsets help or hinder success mastery. Please visit bookwritingbusiness.com to get more information on writing your professional or personal story.